Hey everybody, welcome to the Green Room Podcast on the Handshake Media Network. I'm your host, Neil Griffiths. Happy Friday, hope you're well. Hope everything's swell in your world. On this episode of the Green Room, I'm joined by Adam Lambert, who was in the country for the last couple of weeks in support of the first leg in the Australian leg of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody Tour. And Adam came back to Sydney on early this week to promote his brand new album. It's called Velvet, and it's his first in five years, first since the original high. Adam joined me in a very fancy hotel room, get your mind out of the gutter, to talk about his new album, Velvet. It's out on March 20. You've probably heard a couple of cuts from it already. Uh, it's very retro, very disco. So Adam and I discussed uh, the inspiration behind the new album, the direction he's going in, what's going on with Queen, because... For Lambert fans, they'll know that as this Australian tour is wrapped up with Queen, then he goes back to the US to promote this album and do some shows over there. Then he goes back on the road with Queen in Europe. So it's a very busy time for him. Um, we yeah, we kind of talked about what's going on with Queen, the future of his, his tenure with Queen. Is there going to be new music? It was a really cool chat as well because Adam mentioned uh, between 2015, the original high, and Velvet, which again is out on March 20, that he kind of got dried up with what was going on in the top 40, the contemporary pop music and what brought him back to this disco sound. So here's my chat with Adam earlier this week. Have a listen. Welcome to the green room, sir. Thank you. Uh, how are you? I'm wearing green eyeshadow just for your green room, for the viewers at home or the, the listeners at home that cannot see. Yeah, um, we are in a very fancy hotel room. Uh, there is a bed directly to your right. <laughs> it's made. I haven't, this is like, this is not my room. I'm staying at this hotel. You actually are? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. On this floor, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. How I that? would have invited you to come in there, but it's a disaster. Mm. Just a lot of clothes everywhere? I'm very disorganized, yeah. yeah. It's like an explosion of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> when, when do you head home, dude? Because the Queen tour is officially wrapped up. It is. I, I go home in two days. Okay, back yeah. to LA. Yeah, back to LA. I missed Mardi Gras, which is kind of killing me, but when they scheduled the tour, they didn't factor that in, yeah, funny enough. Yeah, sure. Um, but hopefully I'll catch like the tail end of the uh, the parties here. Maybe there's like some after party situation it's, that I mean, I'll find it's Monday. tomorrow. Monday. What's on on a Monday? Um, maybe maybe a Tuesday. Guys, maybe tomorrow night. I don't know. Yeah. I mean tonight there's like a lot of tourist bars that are open. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe try that. There's people in town. Yeah. You know. Uh, how, how are you feeling now that the tour is wrapped up? Great. Um, the sense of accomplishment is wild. I I had so much fun. Mm. It was a really interesting tour because we we've, we've done arenas for years and arenas feel a certain way. They're indoors. For the most part, they're, you know, you're talking about 15 to 20,000 people a shot. This was stadiums. So we were playing for, you know, 30, 40,000 people outdoors. Yeah. And of course, when we were coming up to the tour, we were very concerned about the smoke and the fires. Um, and luckily that cleared up because of the rain. I think that helped a lot, yeah. which we experienced at our first Australian yeah, show in Brisbane. Brisbane. It was just wet. It was a tropical downpour, um, which was really, it was really fun, actually. It was, it was totally crazy. It wasn't anything that we've ever had to deal with before, and it was interesting. It was like an obstacle course. Were you guys actually concerned that the show might have to be called off at any point? They made it really safe. Um, they did what they needed to do to cover certain pieces of equipment and whatnot. Um, it was a rain or shine event. Everybody in the audience had a poncho on. I think, you know, we were ready to go. Yeah. The one that actually almost looked kind of dicey was for Sydney here is that there were lightning warnings. Yeah, I do remember So that, they had yeah. to hold the cur they had to hold the show to start about 20 to 30 minutes to make sure that there was no lightning. 
And the and whatever showers were happening passed, and the rest of the show was pretty dry. Do you get nervous backstage about that? Nah. Like, forget about the 60,000 people. Yeah. I'm worried about getting hit by lightning. I never really thought about it before. <laughs> Once they told us that, that you were we were good to go, it was Just like, okay, we're good to go. Black hat. Yeah. I trusted him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell us about Firefight. Um, that was I amazing. Think, as we're recording this, I think it's airing in L.A., on Fox. I think it aired last night. Oh, it's already aired, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it just aired, though. Yeah. I was just looking at their Twitter account, and they're yeah. just like, tweeting about like John Farnham, which I'm sure no one knows who the fuck John Farnham is. They might the not. They might not. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I love that song. The, the big... Feel the voice. Na, na, na. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a great song. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about that night, because... Yeah, 80,000 people. I think nine, over 9 million was raised on the night alone. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah and hopefully with, with the, the broadcast that they're doing now mm-hmm. in the U.S., maybe them some extra money for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you remember of that night? I was really excited. You know, we had done our Sydney show the night before, so we were, we were a little bit sleepy, but we got in there and the energy was incredible. I mean, it was the... The vibe backstage was incredible. Everyone was really excited to be a part of it. Um, and the minute we went on stage... The audience was fired up. They were, uh, they were young and they were packed in there, and just immediately we felt the vibe, and it was really good. Which is already like they're already like eight and a half hours into that broadcast. Yeah. By the time you guys hit the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what was exciting too is that, that we were on a bill with a lot of other great talent, um, a lot of local talent. Um, so I think you brought together fans that might not usually come out um, to a Queen show. Um, yeah. Slash be able to afford it. Um, <laughs> it's a pricey show. Um, um, and we do. And just so people know, I mean, we we charge that money so we can put that show. I mean, the production is is yeah. wild on our show. Yeah. It's expensive. Um, and that's what was great about Firefight. It was stripped back. It was no frills, you know, um, except for the leopard print suit that I was wearing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was very exciting. It was really exciting to be there and to sing those songs. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to do the set that they did at Live Aid, yeah. uh, which was like a really cool concept yeah. to, to, to kind of make it special. Yeah. Um, and I think that once people found out about that, it was an interesting talking point. What's been amazing with this tour in particular is that a lot of people who haven't seen Queen before, at least people, so I'm 29, people in my age bracket who have seen the show and they're like, holy shit, like Adam Lambert is incredible. Oh, thanks. As far as when you started working with Queen and touring with Queen, was there that initial fear of, people are going to hate this. Like, this is Queen. Like, you can't live up to Freddie Mercury. People may, may only know me from, like, some of my singles, maybe American Idol. This could go badly. Did that ever cross your mind? In the beginning, I definitely was was very stressed about all of that. Mm. All of the things you just said were running through my mind. Um, and then, I, you know, at the same time, I was like, yeah, but this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There's no way I can say no. Mm. So I'm saying yes, <laughs> you know. And, and... It's turned out, I, I thought it was just going to be a one-off, to be honest with you. I thought it was just going to be the EMAs that we did together as the first thing. And it just has snowballed so beautifully into one thing after another. And I'm really lucky. I do feel very fortunate that this worked out the way it did. And I feel like it was some weird twist of fate that uh, somehow I decided to sing Bohemian Rhapsody for my audition for American Idol. Yeah. Uh, if I hadn't, I don't know if I'd be on their radar I don't know. Because I'm thinking, like, when you mentioned the EMAs was the first time, like, how did that conversation happen? Did you just send an email from Brian May being like, hi, Adam, join <laughs> Queen, thoughts? <laughs> Regards, Brian. They, you know, he, he and I stayed in touch after the American Idol performance that they came on. Sure. They, they came on during the finale, yeah. and we performed together, and we exchanged information, and it just felt like a good vibe. We all kind of recognized it, and they were asking about 
potential collaborations, but I had my own tour to do. I had my own album to promote. And then once the, the dust settled from that first uh, era, which was Four Year Entertainment, um, I had some downtime and they, they came a calling and we started working together. It was amazing. And, and that's been this amazing um, sort of seesaw thing that I get to do throughout the last eight years is yeah. to kind of go into touring with them for a minute and then switch over and get into my solo stuff and promote my own music and then go back into touring. And it, it definitely keeps things interesting and, and exciting. I mean, tell me if you have other examples, but the only band that I can think of that had that same thing, like an established guy coming into an established group was Axl Rose coming with ACDC. Yeah. Like, is there, is there, are there any others? I don't think there is. I think there's one guy that's doing... In excess, right? Isn't there a guy that got like yeah, on a TV I mean, show or something? But not to that extent. Yeah. No offense in excess. No, it Be is. Great. It is a very singular um, sort of experience, and it, and it it's not always the most successful thing. Mm. I think we all realize how lucky we are to have kind of found each other. Yeah. Because it really does feel like a fit, and I think the first time we performed together, we realized it felt like a fit. I was like, oh, okay. And I I know Brian and Roger said to me, well, we're excited because you can sing everything that we need to sing. You know, and I think that they've had other singers that were good at like one part of their catalog, but not all of it. So yeah. that's exciting. So how does that relationship work? I mean, like you're releasing a new album in, in two weeks, Velvet. Yeah. Uh, you've just wrapped up this leg of the Bohemian Rhapsody tour. Then you're going back to US to do some Vegas shows for Velvet. Yes. And then you're back to, is it Europe? Back to Europe with Queen again. We're doing uh, a handful of shows in Europe and then we're doing 10 shows at the O2 in London. Sure. Yeah, which so should be really venues. cool. Yeah. Small intimate club venues. Not as big as Australia, actually, yeah. the, the venues that we're in. But we're back to our arenas, which we know very well. Yeah. Um, but I guess that was my question is like, how does that relationship work now? Like, as far as Queen supporting your career, can you push back a bit and say, hang on, I, I want to release an album? You know, it works out really really smoothly actually um we kind of work with them um and when they have their bookings we know we, we know this stuff well in advance so we figure out the windows where we we have i say we my team and i i figure out those windows with them and and we plan things yeah yeah it works out really well i know you've asked, been asked this a million times but new queen music will it happen i don't know um <laughs> I, I i'm a never say never kind of guy like i don't know it just it hasn't yet so yeah, yeah. okay well, let's talk about Velvet. Um, I listened to it in full this morning for the fourth time. Oh, <laughs> Very disco, very 70s. Yeah. Uh, intentional, or is this just where you're at as far as musical taste? The, I mean, I, I, four years ago I started working on this, so it's been like a long oh. process. Um, and I've enjoyed the process, and I think that part of that was m my creativity. I, I don't like to rush things, because when I rush, I find like it's, it's not as good. Um, and also, I had a lot of business stuff that I had to sort out. You know, I changed labels and management and all this behind-the-scenes stuff that's kind of boring. But it does slow down the process a yeah. lot. Um, and so I think when I started, I, 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 I was kind of fried on Top 40 at that time. So I just literally stopped listening to everything new for a minute. And I went back into, like, music that inspired me to love music in the first place. And a lot of what that was was what was played around the house when I was a kid, and that was music from the 70s. My parents had an amazing album collection. And I went back to a lot of those favorites, and then I started kind of revisiting even artists uh, that are contemporary that also reference the stuff from the past. You know, good, good like funk music, good disco music, good indie music, rock. I mean, it's a kind of a blend, soul. Yeah. Um, 
kind of a blend of all of that stuff uh, and and started realizing that there's a real sound there, that there's there's a lot of contemporary acts that are doing it really well. So I would go into each session with with writers and producers and kind of play some examples of stuff that I loved. Um, you know, stuff with great bass lines and organic instrumentation and soulful hooks. And that's how it started. It's been five years since the original high. And tell me if you disagree. You would say that's probably more EDM, pop, yeah. pop house. That was very contemporary. Tell me yeah. about this idea that you got very bored or dried up with the top 40 sound. I just, it just started seeming really homogenized to me. Like I kept kind of hearing the same beats, the same hooks over and over again. It just, it was, I was bored. Um, and I, I think for me with, with my musical journey as a singer and as a writer, I was like, okay, I want something new, like a new challenge. I want to find a different part of my musicality. And I've been listening to, you know, soulful music my whole life. I love it. And I, I, I recognized that like, I hadn't really dove as far into that feel as I feel like I wanted to. Um, and so, yeah, just challenge myself to kind of lean in a little bit more. Did you find yourself listening? Like say we're up to album number four now with all these albums were you listening to different music at that stage or again yeah. like you said it's been in the works for a couple of years now yeah i'm definitely i am definitely inspired a lot by what i listen to and i think um yeah with some of the past albums it was listening to sort of what was happening at that moment and sort of chasing some sort of trend um and also it's really easy to get into kind of like roped into the the business of it all and try to chase a hit um, which for me doesn't quite work. I, I feel like then it just looks like you're chasing, you know, I, with this project, I was like, let's throw all that out the window and just make music that feels good. Period. The end, just get back to like a more, a more pure way of being a creative and insulate that creativity and not be affected as much by all the business stuff and all the, yeah. the commercial side of it all. And, and you know, with that, I, I, signed with an indie label, um, so I sort of tapped out of the, the hustle a little bit. And I think that's made the album what it is. I got to be in the driver's seat more than I've ever been. Um, I co-wrote everything on the album. I executive produced it. Um, all the imaging is, is my ideas. My, you know, it's, it, I'm kind of the creative director of it. It feels good to have a project that's mine. That, re- that I have a real sense of ownership of. Where I'm not compromising every step of the way. I mean, without trashing the other albums do you think velvet is the first album that you can say is a hundred percent yours yeah this is your baby yeah i mean i've always i'm i'm pretty headstrong and i'm stubborn and opinionated so i definitely get in there on everything that i've (laughs) done and i have an opinion but it's there's a lot of compromise in the past and um you know because you're dealing with uh, the big bosses and they have a lot of money to spend (laughs) and you know i get it it's the business i respect it but I was just a bit like, okay, I want to do this differently. Yeah. Because as I was listening to Velvet, that's kind of what I got is like, there's nothing that I'm listening to commercially that sounds like Velvet, which is a really great thing. But do you think given the start of your career in American Idol being the giant machine that it is, do you think an album like Velvet you could have pulled out in 2009 and said, guys, we're doing this? I don't know. I don't, I, 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 maybe not. Um, I think that both coming right off of Idol... I was in a different place in my career. And also the music industry was in a different place. Um, you know, radio is still important, but it's, it's not the driving force of the music industry like it was 10 years ago. Um, so I think that's exciting. I think with streaming, your music finds its audience. You know, you can put things out and, and have a body of work. And to me, it's about the album and it's about going on tour with it and taking it on stage live. That's my 
my specialty. That's what yeah. I love to do. And with these songs, that was another thing in the back of my mind. I thought, I, I, I don't want to have a music that's so heavily reliant on all this computerized layers and all this stuff. I wanted something that was a bit more kind of timeless with real instruments and you could get on stage with a band and it sounds the same. Do you think there's a catalyst for why you fell back in love with this kind of music? I think it's just, it reminded me of, you know, with me getting kind of fried on all the business stuff and the, the, the commerce and the competitiveness of the industry, um, I had to remind myself why I wanted to be in it in the first place. What made me want to make music? Um, it certainly wasn't money. It certainly wasn't, um, you know, winning. That's the, neither of those things have anything to do with why I love music. So I had to sort of kind of go back to like the initial love and the initial love was the actual music and yeah. the way it made me feel and, and the, uh, the love of performing and that feeling of performing and connecting with an audience. And uh, most of the music that first inspired me is, is this kind of stuff. It's, yeah. it's, you know, more throwback. It's pretty incredible that you still have this drive because it really could be like if Queen called me tomorrow and said, we want you to be the singer, I will be known as that guy for the rest of my life. <laughs> and that's fine. But for you, like you aren't that you and you clearly want more than just to be the, the great singer of a great band. I'm very, very, very happy about working with Queen. It's like it's amazing. And it's um, it, it's become some way to pay the bills, which is lovely. Sure. Um, and it's an amazing catalog of music to sing. I mean, as a vocalist, it's very challenging. It goes everywhere. It goes through every genre. It's so exciting. It's like running a marathon every night, you know? It's like the Olympics of singing. Um, and on the other hand, as a creative person, I like to make things. I like to write things. I like to create new things. I like to create a visual. I like to, you know, tell a story and put together a show and all that stuff. And it's just as important to me as singing an amazing catalog of famous songs is creating my own songs and, and um, leaving behind my own legacy. I mean, both things are really important to me. Uh, because of what you got started on American Idol, do you think reality shows still have a place in 2020? I, th I mean, I think that people love watching talent. So if you're talking about like competition reality shows, I think people love watching them. Mm. It's great TV. I don't know if the crossover between those shows and the actual music industry is quite as easy as it used to be. I think there was a period where it was like really, it was set up to funnel talent into the record label system. And I, I don't know if it's quite that simple anymore. I, I haven't really been seeing many careers get launched off of these shows lately. Um, yeah. There's definitely been a handful of us, um, you know, and like One Direction is a great example of a giant band that came out of X Factor. Um, that was a while ago. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's, I, I, you know, as much as I love watching The Voice, I don't, I, who's come off of that that's, that's, you know, or even Idol towards the end. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't producing. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, even Australian Idol, I think it's sitting somewhere with a network, but it's like, do we need it back? I don't know. I love, but I do, at the same time, regardless of how it connects to the industry, um, I love the idea of giving talent on a platform. I yeah. think it's really important. So even if someone doesn't get signed to a major label deal off of one of these shows, it's still opening the door for them. It's still an opportunity and it's still a way for them to, to, to introduce themselves to a fan base. And so I've seen definite cases of artists who take matters into their own hands and actually say, okay, well, maybe I'm not 
part of the machine, but I'm still going to like leverage. Yeah. And, and it is the era of sort of DIY um, where you can put your own music on, on streaming services yourself. I will like literally rip this file and put it on Spotify this week. That's how easy it is. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, Adam, thank you so much, man. I hope we see you back in Australia. Absolutely. I'll be back very soon, I'm sure. This year or next? I don't know. I'm just going to put you on the spot right I'm now. not sure. I'm not sure yet, but I do love it down here. Thanks for coming by my yeah. hotel room. It's been fancy. It's Thank been you. Great, man. Thank you. <laughs> Good to catch up. <laughs> Big thanks to Adam for joining the podcast this week. Again, the album is called Velvet. It's out on March 20. Make sure you get yourself a copy. And if you want to check out past episodes of the Green Room podcast, head over to themusic.com.au and click on the podcast tab. Check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundClouds, or wherever the hell you get your podcast. And we'll see you all next week.